to get to that point in your relationship with God and be able to utter those words, it is well with my soul. What a gift. And I'm finding that I'm getting older. <laughs> I reflect back and see where he has been with me so many times when I felt alone. Through it all. Through it all. Pray with me. Good morning, Father. Well, here we are. Your children. This morning is all about you. And you have taken me everywhere this week in order to present what you have this morning. And it has been a joy. So, Father, use me. These are not my words. These are yours. Speak to your children. May they understand what you long for them to know. Thank you, Father, for your presence. Thank you for the spirit that's moving right now amongst us. It is well with my soul knowing that you are there. In your loving son's name I pray. Amen. Most of you know my daughter-in-law, Rachel. She lives back in Michigan. I love her dearly. She is one who loves family. Her father passed away due to cancer. And I, man, it's coming early. <laughs> I consider it a joy when she calls me dad. So she'll send me texts and say, dad, you need to read this. Dad, you need to see this. I think you'll like it. I love that about her. She's enthusiastic. She's passionate. She has a relationship with God, but she thinks outside the box a lot like me. So she said, Dad, a, couple, a month ago, you, you got to read this. I think you'll like it. And I did. It was an article that came out of the Adventist today, the 5th of July, 2019, written by Lauren Siebold. Let me kind of set it up for you. He writes, every pastor it said, has one especially loud string on his fiddle. No matter how much you try to be creative, flexible, and wide-ranging, there are certain themes, certain ways of saying things that characterize your message. I can't help but think what's on my fiddle. Props. As I came down to the last Sabbath of my ministry, he writes, I wanted to say in one sermon what I've tried to preach for most of my life. 
How do you put 40 years of preaching and study into one sermon? You can't, of course. So I settled on five things, five things that I've said frequently and that I believe are the key understandings of our faith as I see it. Folks, this gentleman, after 40 years of ministry, of walking with God, listening to God, interacting with God, having to pay the just dues of a pastor within a church, has something to say. Has something to say. And I think that we need to listen closely as we begin this morning what that is because he said, I want to entitle my sermon... As I was saying. How many times have you said that? As I was saying. As I was, as I alluded to. Remember, five things over 40 years of ministry that this man has felt. If I'm going to have a voice, this is what I want you children to hear. God is good. It's all about Jesus and being like Jesus. Mm. Being good and kind is more important than being right. Amen? Where's all the theology things here, guy? He's stripping this down to the core. The fourth one. Never doubt that you have eternal life. And last but not least, the church should be a place of happiness and safety. I don't see him listing any 28 fundamental belief on that screen. Because it's more of living a life like Christ lived. But as I saw this, it moved me. His whole sermon will elaborate on those five things. But it moved me on number four. Number four resonated to me. Never doubt that you have eternal life. Maybe that's my strength. Because I could not help but think of my lessons that I do with my kids. My kids as I go through our study books. Lesson number two. I love lesson number two best of all even with my adult grown-up kids. The bad news and the good news. You know what, Carlos, I need your help, buddy. Come up here. You can't sit there. You know, no, 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 no. Let's look at this thing. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 3.23. Do you believe that? Do you? Yes. 
Okay, let's look what it says. For all have sinned. That means all of them? Yep. Yes. <laughs> Pastor Sergio? Yes. Me? Yes. Okay, here's the tricky one. Mom's sitting back there. Mom? Oh, Carlos. Carlos. For all have sinned? If the Bible says it, it must be true. Okay. In our studies, we continue to look. This is not good news at all. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Ooh, I like that one. I like that one. We're getting a contrast here. Now, it says the wages of sin. You know what wages are? What? Earn them? Your, your dad brings home a paycheck. Your mom brings home a paycheck. Majority of people out here bring home a paycheck. In fact, would you like to earn a dollar? <sighs> I'm a big spender. Could you get my water bottle for me? What was that? Oh, uh, no, no, no. Thank you, young man. Here is your dollar. Isn't that a wonderful gift? No. <laughs> That's not a gift. You earned it. You worked hard to get this. I still see the sweat on your brow. That was hard work. What's the dollar? A wage. But yet, it says the gift of God is eternal life. And you know what, Carlos? I, I love you so much. I'm going to give you $5. <laughs> Let's lay that here on, the, on this stool. Stand over here on this side. Okay, now let's see, the $5 you worked for, right? No. Which one did you work for? The dollar? So that's a gift? No. no. <laughs> is that a gift? Yes. $5 is a gift. $1 is a gift? No. It's a wage. Did you earn that $5? Yes. You adults laugh because you do the same thing. You get it all mixed up. <laughs> we do. This is a gift. A gift. You did not earn that at all. Isn't that exciting? Okay. I want you to work with me as we continue our study. Remember, this is my favorite study out of our studies that we have. And this is the testimony God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. You hear that? Well, when you come to my class, we're going to dissect this thing. And this is the testimony that God has given us, eternal life. Carlos, 
He's talking to you. I want you, son, to have eternal life. How? Through his son. Whoever has the son has life. Whoever does not have the son does not have life. Well, guess what, Carlos? Meet Jesus. Come here. The Scripture tells us, he who has the Son has life. So if this is Jesus, which is the Son, if you have Jesus, what do you have? If you don't have Jesus, what do you have? Ah, that's not good news. If you have Jesus, no Jesus, Jesus, no Jesus, Uh, you still got him. Isn't that amazing? He makes it so simple. If you have Jesus, you have what? Oh, that's too good to be true. It's like a telemarketer. You just want a trip to Hawaii. What's the catch? God, what's the catch? Well, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God. Jesse, do you believe in the name of the Son of God? Do you have Jesus? What do you have? Eternal life. And he's telling you this in big, bold letters when he says, I want you to know. I want you to know this family. I want you to know this, kids. Pay attention because the world is going to do everything it can to distort that. He does not, the world does not want you to know that if you have Jesus Christ, what do you have, Carlos? It's too good to be true, isn't it? It's too good to be true. Carlos, thank you for your help. You can leave your money up here. (laughs) You can take it. In fact, this young man right here is going to be baptized in two weeks. And he is excited about it. You know why he is? Because he has... Jesus in his life. Like I've told you before, these kids that I study with, they get it. They get it. They haven't been beat up, burned, or whatever it is that we adults have to wrestle with from the world. They get it. Carlos, I'm proud of you. I'm looking forward in two weeks. Okay, bud? I mean, I could stop right there and feel pretty good about this. Doesn't get any better than that. There's been a book in my life that I really treasured, and it's called To Know God. Simple little book written by Morris Vinden, who I truly love. 
and I try to grab as much as I can of his that I can to read. In it, he writes, knowing God is what Christianity and religion and eternity is all about. That's what it's all about. Now, this is eternal life that they know you. Who? Jesus. That they know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I've had the privilege of studying with a couple of ladies going through the Purpose Driven Life book. In it, chapter four, made to last forever. We were made to last forever, not just for a short period of time, not for a blip on the dot, on the line, forever. Ecclesiastes 3.11, God has planted eternity in the human heart. We have eternity in our heart. Even Abraham Lincoln references, surely God would not have created such a being as man to exist for only a day. No, no. Man was made for immortality. Even good old Abe saw that. When I tell you this morning, I love this book so much that I have him on the table as you leave today, please help yourself to one. Should be in every Christian home. When I say Christian, that means Adventist, Methodist, Presbyterian, Lutherans, all of them. What Morris talks about in here is breaking it down to the core. But then again, the Bible continues, continues to share with us text. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give my sheep eternal life. They will never die and no one can take them out of my hand. My Father is the one who gave them to me and he is greater than all. No one can steal my sheep out of his hand. The Father and I are one. Are you starting to see a pattern here? God loves us unconditionally. We look at ourselves and see all the bad things that we do and think that limits ourselves in a relationship with God, that we are unworthy to even spend eternity with Him. Uh-uh. So wrong. So wrong because you are in the hand of the shepherd. Morris Alwell also wrote a book, Hard to be Lost. I love the title. We always look at it, it's going to be hard to be saved if we listen to the world because the world's constantly reminding you of your mistakes, your mistakes, your mistakes, your mistakes. You're not worthy enough. God can't love you. Look at what you did. Look at what you did. Look at what you did. You're constantly being bombarded by the world. God says, huh, it's going to be hard to be lost. Why? Because of his unconditional love and grace. We've got to change our perspective. We've got to see it from God's point of view. 
There's no greater picture to me than that. But there is a catch. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but everlasting. Okay, guys, we need to believe in Jesus. Do you believe? Okay. You got that one. We need to believe. But yet again, Jesus says that's not what it's all about. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. I need to be saved. I'm broken. I'm a sinner. I am blind and I am lost. And I'm doing the best that I can on my journey with him because Christ has me in his hands as well as he has you in your hands. Folks, we are still a work in progress. We have not arrived. We are far from it. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us of our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. This is an area that I have found to be a problem for a lot of people, those that I've talked to, my sister-in-law. You know my sister-in-law, Janie. You know her story. Janie, you're going to be to heaven? No. Why? I'm not worthy enough. But have you asked for forgiveness? Yes. Then what's the problem? We don't forgive ourselves. If we don't believe that we forgive ourselves, we have a tendency to believe that God doesn't forgive us either because when it comes time to forgive ourselves, that's not always easy. And asking forgiveness may not be easy to some of you, but God says, come unto me as little children. Here's a toy from the past. Good old Etch-a-Pet. This is my new iPod or iPad. I'm not hooked up to the Wi-Fi, but I hope it works. You've all seen it, haven't you? You've all, you've all played with it. In fact, this Etch-a-Sketch is your life. There's a picture of your life right there. Confusion, maybe good things, maybe bad things. But I know for myself, in my life, more than just once, I have to say, Lord, I blew it. I blew it. I need your help. Please, Father, forgive me. And you know what he does? He doesn't take me and shake me. He takes my Etch-a-Sketch. And voila, my sins are gone. The problem that I dealt with was gone. Does he remember? No. Do you? Most likely. And that's the problem. That's the problem. You're a sinner. Accept the fact that you're a sinner and that you did wrong and move on. 
Be thankful that the Lord is a God who is gracious and forgiving because if you're to ask Him, Lord, remember five minutes ago when I asked you to forgive me? What was it about? I have no idea, friend. I have no idea. He does not hold these things over me. The enemy does. Enemy has more than an etch-a-sketch, and he's taking notes. And he's constantly reminding us by the influence of others, influence of family. You cannot know when the devil is lying to you if you don't know the word. You agree to that? So what it's telling me is that I need to know the word, right? Is that what it's saying? Yes. A lot of times this word's going to go up here. But the key thing is, is to move it down to here. Take what I learned from the word, apply it, live it, share it, experience it. You may make mistakes, that's okay, because God wants you to be actively involved with reaching out to the people that need to hear this message. We just don't want to be a person who just gathers up information and puts it here and that's it. We have to walk the talk. We have to practice what we listen to. We have to practice what we read. We have to make it to where when it says you need to know the Word, ah, remember in John, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us and that Word is Jesus. I need to have a relationship with Jesus. As I close this morning, I want to share with you two situations that I believe uh, relate to the act of knowing and the importance of knowing. I ask you to bear with me. The first one has to do with my young son, Charlie. I think most of you know Charlie. Not you, Charlie. You're my, you're, you're, the, you're my brother. There came a point in our lives with Becky and me with my multiple sclerosis that we could not have any more children, so we do it our due diligence to make sure that we could prepare our place to adopt. But you know, God has different plans because that scenario looks like, yeah, you can do it, but it's going to take four or five years. We want a time where a child could be with their oldest son, Joshua. And out of the blue, we get a phone call. Would you be interested in possibly a young little boy? He's not quite three years old who seems to be abandoned at the babysitters quite frequently. Yeah. And that started the process. 
Little did we know about the story of Charlie, nor am I going to into a lot of it. But God was there moving in every aspect of it. We kept hearing about him. We kept hearing situations about his life and the problems that he was suffering as a little boy of almost three of being abandoned and abused and beaten. We had heard that the mother was going to go into California with her boyfriend and do a drug transaction. How's that for a vacation? And Becky and I said, oh, Lord, how can that little boy go down there to California with him? We had a lawyer already working with us, and we said, can we, can we somehow intercede that we can, mm, power of attorney to take this boy to be with us while mom goes to California? It's a shot in the dark. We tried it. She was presented with it. And we picked him up at Godfather's Pizza from the babysitter. She said, yes. She didn't even know us. We met little Charlie in the booth. Josh was with us. Side note, Josh would drive by Cadillac Hospital and say, that's where I was born. Charlie would buy Drive by Godfather's Pizza. That was where I was born. <laughs> he was proud of that. But see, we, we only had him because of the power of attorney. It wasn't permanent. We just felt we needed to get him in our home, and we took him in our home. I took off vacation time to spin with him. We got bunk beds. I wanted to be able to mingle with this little guy, and he just fit our family like a glove called us mom and dad, took him to my relatives up in Yakima, grandma and grandpa, aunts and uncles. <sighs> we couldn't have asked for a better child. Until the day I realized an issue came up that I disciplined the boys just by verbalizing it, but he laid in his bed in a fetal position. It was kind of convulsing. And I realized this is a little boy who's almost three years old, and he's scared to cry. Charlie, it's okay to cry. I love you. I won't hit you. I rubbed his back. It's okay to cry. And the dam broke. He gave us such light. But mom came back two weeks later. I want him. We had to. Law. We relinquished him back to mom. <sighs> Devastated us. Josh had a brother. Had a playmate. And if you know my loving wife, she did something that is not in her comfort zone. She took the initiative to go and visit the birth mother and sit down with her and hold her hand and say, if there's any 
reason why you do not want this little boy, Charlie. We would love to have him in our home. And oh, I thank the Lord for that. Because that is not normally Becky's reactions to conflict. That was a God thing. And within a matter of a short period of time, I get a phone call. I think it was Ruth who called me on a Friday. Charlie's been beaten by the boyfriend. Mom says, it's time. Everybody go to the judge's chamber right now. We're going to start the process of adoption. And we did. We took him to Myvaden. We think about going to Canada. <laughs> and that's how it started with a little boy named Charlie. We didn't know his history. As Charlie grew up, we realized that he was different from Josh. Personalities, I just looked at. He was keeping to himself. He would connect with his friends. But Beck and I felt sometimes that we weren't connecting with him. When, when we had moved from one house to the other, and he was about six or seven years old, well, first of all, where he lived at, he picked up the phone. He always had a unique way of answering. Brunkhorst resident, Charlie speaking. We thought that was so cute, we were going to change it at all. He could do that till he's 25. But he gets over there to our new house, and the phone rings. He picks up the phone. Mom, what's my name? Charlie Bronkhorst. Little did we pick up on this, that this little boy was struggling inside of what does the future even hold for him. We saw situations as a teenager. We saw him as he grew up, his connections with people, difficulties, anger management, Went off to the Coast Guard, came back home. We talked some more. Issues came up. And then I talked with Eric in his study one day. And I said, Eric, this, this is what's happening. And being a doctor as he was, well, Fred, it's pretty clear. Your son has attachment disorder problems. Attach what, what is that? I didn't know. So I did some research. And when Beck and I looked at what it was, Attachment disorder is a broad term intended to describe disorders of mood, behavior, social relationships arising from a failure to form normal attachments to primary caregiving figures in early childhood. Such a failure would result from unusual early experiences of neglect, abuse, abrupt separation from caregivers between six months and three years of age. Frequently change or excessive numbers of caregivers or lack of a caregiver responsiveness to a child communicating efforts resulting in a lack of basic trust. Here's the line. 
A person's attachment system is permanently established before the age of three. We looked at each other and said, what have we done? We had no idea. But I needed to talk to my son. I said, son, this, this is what Eric shared with me. This is what I put together and researched. And as I shared it with him, son, did you have trust issues with us? Yes. Did you have trust issues or, or issues as far as us loving you? Yes. Son, were you at peace as a teenager or a young adult? No. Why? Because I never knew when the ball was going to drop that you were going to get rid of me. God says, I tell you this so I want you to know. My son did not know the love that I had for him. Why? Because of the world, because of the turmoil, because of Satan, because of all the chaos and the abuse and the things that took place in that little boy's life of three years old just stewed for him. We had a come to Jesus meeting that night and we cried and we held each other. And one thing that he made very clear to us was, I need to hear you tell me you love me, Mom and Dad. Because sometimes we just take it for granted. Love you, love you, goodbye, love you. And he would say, love you guys. And we would walk into the house. Little did we know that wait on him. Is, is now the time? Is now the time that is going to happen? I can't tell this boy I love you enough. And I mean it. Long story short, he's doing great. He celebrated his second wedding anniversary last Monday. Has a wonderful wife who has been there for him. And I asked him on the phone the other day, I said, son, would you give me permission to share your story? And he said, dad, sure, if it can help anybody, so do. So I am. But the thing is that for me, I look back on my life, and I got to admit, I come from a leave it to beaver home. I don't have a lot of trouble as a child. I couldn't relate to what he went through. And I'm sure that there are those of you sitting here today who may be able to relate to Charlie because of all the turmoil and the neglect and the abuse that you went through as a child.
I look at my brother Charlie. And I know that when he came to this church with his lovely wife Jackie, he did not want a thing to do with it. Charlie, you had a disconnect problem. And all of a sudden, I'm looking in the mirror. Fred, you have an attachment disorder yourself. Me? Yeah, you. Why? Because you're a sinner. You are a sinner. And the influence of the world around you, even from a small child, has taken its part only through Christ, only through Christ. Because I look at Charlie right now, he's a miracle. Both he and Jackie are miracles to me because there is no one that I could ever point a finger at and say, brother, you have made a transformation, both of you. And I thank the Lord for that, for what a witness, because see, we are not stuck in the world of disorders and that we have to accept it. God can intervene and change our lives like that. It may take time because we're all a work in progress. But it broke my heart to think that my son in his teen years, growing up and going into the military for four years, still questioned the fact of trusting his mom and dad and our love and the home that we call his home. He didn't know. But praise God, he knows now. He knows now. Loving wife, wonderful little boy. His little boy has probably taught him so much about himself. And that's how it works when God does that. And I love him and his wife dearly. See, the thing is that I shared with you one time about my aunt. Trust in God, surrender to God, and peace from God. That is the equation that we long for. But my son, in talking to him, said, I had no peace. Did you trust us? I did not trust you. So therefore, he couldn't even surrender to us. What turmoil he went through. What turmoil you may be going through right now, I don't know. I don't know. But I thank the Lord from where he's at right now in his life because Charlie's still a work in progress as well. I, too, as a dad. And if you bear with me, one more snippet of another friend that will show you the aspect of knowing God. His name is George. When I worked at Hanford there in the federal building, I would do video production in the edit bays, and sometimes, you know, I get really frustrated. And over time, I developed a friend named George in the nursing home. He was a quadriplegic. He had MS from the neck down. And probably for three years up to this point, we have met and talked. I would think about going over there to, to raise up his spirits. No, 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 no. This man raised up my spirit. 
Talk about a man who knew Christ. Talk about a man who knew that his citizenship was in heaven. I just have a green card. I'm just passing through. So anyone who came into his room, he took the opportunity to share with them about a loving Jesus Christ that he worships and believes in. And I'll tell you, he was phenomenal. His wife's name was Georgia. George and Georgia. I would go over there frequently just to visit with them. I remember getting them out for their daughter's wedding, having to get them on this tuxedo, getting them in the shuttle bus. I mean, they were quite the pair. But he never complained. He never complained. Just think about it, folks. You're a quadriplegic, and he can't blow his nose. You know that you're a true friend when he says, Fred, I'm just letting you be honest. When I sneeze, i got to take advantage of it. But that means, Fred, you got to clean me up. Brother, I'll do it. I'll clean you up every time. And if you sneeze, I'll clean you up, Charlie. That's just the kind of guy he was. Again, long story short, I love the man. Beck and I had gone to Montana up into, oh, what is that? Camp Ree or something. We got back home on a Sunday evening. I listened to the message on my recorder, and it says, Fred, George is having difficulties. They're thinking that he may not have a lot of time. Can you please come? This was his wife. So I went to the nursing home, sweaty. But I got there, and I walked into his room, and there was the pastor, the people from their church. They were singing hymns and, and music, and George was coherent, but he was just laying there. Georgia was beside him. And my heart dropped. And I walked over to him and sat by him. Nurses, people, medical came in. They said, by looking at his feet, toenails, it's just going to be a matter of hours. The pastor left. The church members left. And Georgia and I were there with him. But yet there was something about George. And it wasn't until now He trusted in Jesus. He surrendered to Jesus. And he had a peace with Jesus. George wasn't an Adventist, but he's my Christian brother. I learned a lot from George. But George portrayed that to a T. And as the evening progressed, I stayed there with Georgia. Minutes passed, hours passed. And I, I held George's head in my hands and said, George, I love you. I love you. And I kissed his forehead. And he was not woe of me and feeling sorry for himself. All I could do was look in my face and say, Fred, I'm going to have breakfast with Jesus. 
and smile. Fred, I'm going to have breakfast with Jesus. Now is not the time for a theological debate. And I held his hand. I said, yes. Yes, you are. What a joy that will be, George. And as he laid there dying, we're celebrating. Because he's going to have breakfast with Jesus. See, he knew. He knew he had eternal life. That's what gave him the attitude when people came to his room. It was his job not to have them focus on the here and the now and the things of the world. Folks, you're only carrying a green card. Your citizenship is in heaven. Live like it. Believe it. Don't let the things of this world get you so down that you lose sight of your eternity. Oops. As the evening progressed, tears were shed, hugs. I said, George, we're going to meet by the tree of the sea of glass, okay? And we're going to go run together. And we're going to play together. We're gonna, and, and he was just beaming. Again, time passes. Color gets back in his feet. Things start to looking better. <laughs> he perked up. Medical cast staff can't. I can't explain it. He's doing well. And that's the only time I've ever seen George discouraged. not going to have breakfast with Jesus. He was serious. I knew when I held George, I wasn't the only one holding George. Jesus had him as well. The things that they whispered together in each other's ears, I don't know. But boy, George had an assurance. George knew. He may have lived, I think, eight, nine more months and he was a blessing to be with every minute that I could. See, the aspects I want you to understand today with my young son, Charlie, for whatever reasons of the world, he did not seem to know or trust even his own mom and dad who loved him unconditionally. And a friend named George, who knew, who knew, where his citizenship was and that he loves each one of us unconditionally. Do not put so much weight on the things of this world, of your mistakes, of the things that you've done wrong because in God's place, he takes the etch-a-sketch and he shakes it when you say, Lord, forgive me, and it's that simple. As the praise team comes up, Revelation 3.20, here I am, I stand at the door and knock. 
This is Jesus speaking. And the door that he's referring to is your heart. Do you hear it? Do you notice in this text, it does not say that I come and break down the door. I do not come and force open the door. I come and knock because I love you. And I want you to exercise your freedom of choice to open it up. Because when I do that, I then in turn invite him in. He wants us to invite him into our lives. And when we invite him into our lives and we have a relationship with him and we get to know that our citizenship is in heaven and that he's gracious and loving and forgiving. Hello. That's my phone right there. I think it's a phone call from heaven. He's, he's saying, Fred, enough's enough. <laughs> Boy, that's going to be a hefty bill. I pray that when you leave here today, that you will have left here differently than when you came in. Knowing, knowing, Knowing that if you believe in Jesus Christ and you have faith in Him and you do your very best to serve Him along with Christ walking with you, you have what? Eternal life. When you lay your head on the pillow tonight, man, what peace of knowing that if anything were to happen, I'm going to have breakfast with Jesus. Let's live our life in kingdom pictures. Not pictures of this world, but kingdom pictures of what he has for us. Because this world is just a minute dot on the timeline of God's plan for us. No. Know God. Have a relationship with Him. And two, remember He wants to take you home to be with Him because He will fight tooth and nail for you. The victory has already been won. Let's not forget that. I would pray that maybe before next Sabbath, Christ comes and we can be in heaven next week. Take these words, ponder them, apply them. May they be of value to you. Our loving Heavenly Father, we thank you for your presence here with us today. I personally appreciate appreciate what you do for me. I appreciate what you do for this church body. 
But Father, may we leave here today knowing one thing is that your unconditional love covers everything that would keep us from understanding you. May we not listen to the lies of the world. I know we all have a story. We all have a history. But you're the greatest. You're the awesome God. You are the one who loves us and, and grace and forgiveness. You want us all home. And I want to be there with the rest of my family as well. May this moment change our lives. Help us to see from your perspective of who you are and from where we have erred in our own thinking and be a starting point to have that trust plus surrender equals peace in our own lives. Thank you for this time, Father, and be with us throughout this day at the park and our fellowship in the week to come. There's no greater joy than to be in your presence. In your loving son's name, I thank you. Amen.